Hello, and welcome to another episode of This Week in Hearing. I'm Brian Taylor, and this week we're going to be discussing a handy new book, Teleaudiology Today, Remote Assessment and Management of Hearing Loss. And here with me to discuss some of the, uh, some of the uh, important content of the book are two of its authors, Vinay Manchaya and Duet Swanapool. So Duet and Vinay, I want to welcome you to uh, This Week in Hearing. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Brian. It's great to be with you. Yep. Uh, well, before we talk about the new book, um, I'm guessing that most of our viewers uh, have seen your names because you're two of the most prolific researchers that I know. Uh, but uh, I thought it would be helpful if you could kind of introduce yourself, uh, tell us about some of your uh, work uh, and uh, your current affiliations. So, Vinay, we'll start with you. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, I currently serve as the professor in the Department of Otolaryngology at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I also have a clinical and leadership position as the director of audiology at the University of Colorado Hospital. Um, my um, research has several different themes, um, but I think uh, in the last uh, eight to 10 years, I've tried to focus on uh, you know, applications of digital health and technology, uh, you know, using this to kind of um, uh, uh, look at how to improve accessibility and affordability in uh, ear and hearing care. Uh, several years ago, Devet and I uh, merged our forces in our labs to create something called as a virtual hearing lab. Uh, the idea with this is to perform studies across the globe, particularly in the US and in South Africa, uh, uh, in the full spectrum of uh, you know digital health, anything from screening to intervention. Um, uh, I think uh, in the last two years, we have, uh, uh, you know, definitely have more and more emphasis on over-the-counter hearing aids, uh, both on the device, but uh, more uh, on the service delivery model, you know, trying to understand what kind of patient population uh, is more suitable or, you know, have better outcomes with over-the-counter hearing aids and uh, uh, and things like that. Right. And do what? Great, Brian. Yes, so I am an adjunct professor at the same institution as they, so University of Colorado. So let me kind of jump in with that. And then I'm a professor of audiology at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, where I also head up the research for our WHO Collaborating Center for the Prevention of Deafness and Hearing Loss. It's the only center on the African continent. So a lot of the kind of teleaudiology linkage is also through the work we do with the uh, WHO, really trying to make hearing healthcare more accessible um, and affordable. And we rely a lot on digital technologies, but also the service delivery models that they enable where you know, we can have decentralized service delivery models, minimally trained persons can facilitate a lot of the initial services and then remote support teleaudiology services to really make sure that we provide the necessary care to people in a grassroots kind of level. So a lot of work happening in South Africa, but also across Africa. But then as Vinay mentioned, also have close links to work in the US and with the over-the-counter hearing aid movement. Well, I want to thank both of you for being here. And uh, I want to mention to our listeners, our, our viewers, that if they enter either of your name into a PubMed search, they will find dozens of articles, outstanding, timely work. Uh, so thanks for all the great work that you do. And uh, 
thanks for being with us. And let's just move right into the talk about your new book. And uh, I have a copy of it right here for those of you that uh, want to know what the cover looks like. Uh, my first question, and uh, Vinay, I'll ask this to you, I guess. Uh, what motivated you to write the book? Uh, a few different things. Uh, you know, the first, uh, as we all know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, the physical distant distancing was, you know, uh, put on place. And um, as a result, you know, we have to start uh, uh, looking at other ways of providing care to our patients. So, um, you know, as we all know, uh, the concepts of teleideology are not well covered in uh, audiology education programs. So a lot of the clinicians were left... Uh, 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 you know, trying to find uh, information and hands-on training on teleradiology. And uh, I think all of us had uh, quite a lot of requests to present webinars, do hands-on training and things like that. I think that was uh, a kind of, you know, huge motivation. And then I also need to give credit to our colleague, uh, Dr. Bopana Balachenda, who kind of uh, really, uh, you know, put together a team. He uh, basically was the one who, uh, you know, persuaded me and Jay to jump on this project. Initially, we were highly excited and uh, kind of started working on it. And then uh, other things took priority. And then we uh, kind of put the book on hold. Uh, and uh, for several reasons, uh, Dr. Balachanda could not continue on this project. And after a gap, uh, uh, a little bit of a gap, you know, um, Devet and Eldray joined the team. And uh, we also had a few... Uh, you know, external colleagues, you know, uh, Samantha, Laura, and um, Sophie Bryce contributed some excellent chapters. So with these things, you know, we we, we managed to get the book on uh, book out in, in the last few weeks. Um, maybe one thing to add was also before we uh, start working on the project, we uh, uh, kind of looked at what is uh, out in the market. Uh, so there is a textbook on teleradiology. Uh, 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 with good information, uh, but a little bit dated, but also uh, it did not have the the practical uh, information on it. You know, it was more theoretical uh, covering the concepts of teleology. So we wanted to uh, provide more hands-on, uh, you know, consulting consulting style, style information in, in this text. That's good to know. And I, I should I'd be remiss not to mention you have two co-authors that couldn't join us today, uh, Eldra Bukes and uh, Jay Hall. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that uh, they were, so we have four, four co-authors of the book. Uh, we're glad that two of you could be with us. Uh, so Vinay, tell us a little bit more about how the book is structured or organized chapter yeah. by chapter. Yeah, so we have, we have kept the book, uh, you know, fairly short uh, uh, so that it is not a heavy read. Um, and the book is targeted at, uh, uh, you know, practicing clinicians and also students. Uh, who doesn't have any background or information in, in teleradiology. So we assume no uh, previous knowledge or background. Uh, and the book has eight chapters. Uh, we start with, uh, with an opening chapter on covering general concepts, definitions, and models, things like that. Uh, and following that, we kind of uh, jump right into uh, setting up the, the clinic, you know, what, what kind of equipment you need, you know, how to set, uh, set up your clinic for different types of teleradiology uh, practices. Uh, we, following that, in the third chapter, we have a little bit of information on uh, uh, ethical, legal, and professional issues that uh, clinicians need to be aware, uh, you know, with the teleradiology practice in mind. And following that, we have uh, four chapters uh, covering screening and diagnostics, you know, informational counseling and shared decision making, 
you know, fitting uh, hearing aids and fine tuning them, uh, and then finally, uh, tele-rehabilitation, you know, providing rehabilitative services through uh, teleaudiology practices. And finally, we also have a brief chapter covering uh, challenges and opportunities, you know, more futuristic uh, ideas and things like that. So, yeah, fairly short text, but uh, keeping uh, uh, the practical content uh, in most of the chapters. Also want to mention that all of the authors uh, in these books are uh, clinician scientists. You know, they are uh, well-known researchers in the field, but also clinicians who have had uh, uh, excellent uh, experience with patients. Right, that helps. Exactly. And, and you mentioned the book is practical. So maybe you give us some examples. We can start maybe with one of the earlier chapters around screening and diagnostics and provide us some examples of how teleaudiology might be used in that area of care. Um, Brian, yes, happy to kind of share some ideas there. Maybe just to reiterate one or two things that Vinay also mentioned, you know, this field is such a rapidly evolving and changing field. You know, I think back um, a few, well, 13 years ago, we did a systematic review with Jay Hall, who's one of the co-authors on the book as well, on teleaudiology um, and all the publications that were available at that stage. And it was just 27 publications, so early days. And if you look at the number of papers out now, it's uh, you know exponential growth that we've seen into a variety of different fields. It's not just telehealth; it's also mHealth, there's eHealth, and there's digital health. And you know um, the models, even five six years ago, were very simple to explain. We had synchronous and asynchronous models, you know, but now uh, it's a little bit more diffuse and difficult to always kind of structure into clean little boxes because. We have things like, you know, online um, services and we have chat GPT, you know, all these things are kind of uh, weighing into the way in which we deliver care. Um, but in terms of maybe some practical examples, as you mentioned, you know, the chapter four really covers the screening and the diagnostic components in teleaudiology. And as Vinay mentioned, we've tried to take a really practical approach so that clinicians can really, you know, work through the content and also implement these solutions. So um, in this chapter, we give a couple of examples. I mean, maybe one of the traditional examples is something like um, electrophysiological assessment of newborns who failed their new uh, their hearing screening in remote locations of Canada, Alaska, for example. You know, um, if a child fails, there's no one there to do the ABR or the auditory steady state response. So telehealth is perfectly positioned for a remote assessment where a child can be hooked up by a technician uh, to the electrodes and the equipment, and we can take remote control of the equipment, um, a specialist audiologist, and they can run through that uh, electrophysiological assessment to determine if the child has a hearing loss and if they do, what the degree and configuration of that loss is. So that's a typical kind of synchronous telehealth example. We've also, you know, given some examples of some of the newer technologies, for example, you know, online hearing um, assessments or screenings that can be conducted that clinicians can include in their, um, you know, websites where a test can be conducted and they can then remotely, uh, well, it's asynchronous, so it can run 24-7, so they can actually serve patients while they're in bed, but the next day they can look at the list of patients that have been referred and then contact them. So that's just a simple example of an asynchronous way in which a telehealth uh, mode can support practices and, and, and audiological care. 
Very nice. Could you tell us some examples in other chapters around fitting hearing aids, uh, auditory training or rehabilitation? If you have a follow-up, uh, maybe provide some examples of how teleaudiology is being used in those areas. Yeah, so we have, uh, you know, an excellent chapter from Sophie Price, you know, who's been uh, doing teleaudiology for, uh, you know, quite some time, I think uh, at least over a decade. Um, uh, she has an uh, outstanding chapter uh, particularly on hearing aids, you know, how to fit hearing aids uh, as well as how to fine tune them and what kind of uh, things that are possible, you know, through that model. And uh, as we know that, um, uh, you know, soon after the pandemic, most of the manufacturers kind of uh, quickly made that feature available for most of the hearing aids and, and provided training on you know, how to fit and fine tune hearing aids through uh, uh, teleaudiology models. Uh, and in addition, I think uh, the other thing that is happening in that space, you know, particularly with CI, is um, using smartphone applications for, uh, you know, close monitoring of patients. Uh, you know, now um, uh, at least one manufacturer has this app already, and then others are uh, coming onto the board very quickly, where uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, perform some uh, um, testing. Uh, you know, for example, digits in eyes testing. Uh, and try and understand you know what is the status of the of the patient, and also get some of the questionnaires and uh, you know things like that completed. So so that you have a much closer monitoring of patients. You know traditionally you would have them visit uh, every few months, and when they're stable, you know maybe every year or so. Uh, whereas with this technology, you could actually monitor them very closely, and and potentially reduce the need for uh, some appointments or uh, create a need when you know or bring them in when there is a need that shows up in you know in this close monitoring. Uh, in terms of rehab, you know, that's a whole another thing that we have not really done uh, very much, you know. So um, I think whenever we think about um, teleaudiology, we often think about uh, screening and diagnosis and maybe a little bit about, you know, fitting hearing aids and things like that, you know. So uh, uh, what we see when we often talk to patients is, uh, especially, you know, those who are far away is, you know, they don't they actually don't mind coming to that initial appointment uh, to come get the screening done and diagnosis uh, you know, completed and maybe even have the hearing aids fitted. Uh, but it's actually the rehab side that may um, uh, benefit hugely from teleaudiology models. You know, one, because uh, it may require several repeated appointments. Uh, and the second, uh, you know, uh, we are also not able to charge, you know, a lot of the insurance does not cover for rehab services. So um, there are uh, um, I think some um, very useful and interesting things that can be provided, uh, both as a replacement care for rehab as, as well as supplementary care. You know, you could have a couple of in-person appointments, and then uh, uh, time in between can be uh, 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 you know well used, providing uh, uh, you know self-led uh, educational services uh, you know through um, uh, web-based, but now more as an app-based uh, you know applications. Um, for all kinds of populations. Oh, that makes sense. And that kind of leads to my next question is, how do you see teleaudiology working with in-person care? I think some people refer to that as blended or hybrid care. Can you give us some examples maybe of how teleaudiology would work uh, in tandem with in-person visits? Yes, um, Brian, I mean, I think that's a, that's the most typical way, you know, that telehealth models are, are, are rolled out on, in clinics um, is where it kind of supplements in-person services in a way where some components are offered as a remote option. 
And um, so, so it's usually hybrid. There's very few models that are fully telehealth, um, you know, from start to finish. So I think many of the examples we mentioned, for example, you know, support for hearing aid fitting or fine tuning, uh, having the option to connect with an audiologist and have them make remote adjustments and changes and fine tune a hearing aid remotely. But they've come in initially as an in-person, you know, um, appointment initially to connect with audiologists and to do the initial fit. That's quite typical. I I also think, you know, there's um, hybrid models now that also kind of blend in with the screening component. I mentioned the the initial kind of online use of a screening component where they connect to a practice without actually connecting with an audiologist, but they're doing a screening test or they're leaving a questionnaire that's completed. Uh, all of those are elements of a hybrid model if they then move into a face-to-face -face appointment thereafter. I think patients are increasingly having these as potential options, you know, that they can pursue. And uh, we have definitely seen a shift with COVID. You know, before COVID, telehealth was really very much a kind of ad hoc, uh, small little service for some patients who felt that this was a convenience for them. But for audiologists, it was typically an inconvenience. And the COVID certainly has changed the landscape tremendously. You know, suddenly everyone is used to having a remote uh, meeting like we're having today. You know, so it's not something that's strange anymore. There was initially a lot of concern and pushback in telehealth and in teleaudiology as well around um, is the engagement that you have through these means going to be equivalent to the engagement you're going to have in person? I think COVID has kind of sorted out a lot of the concerns around that. You can still build good rapport. You can actually have a really quality interaction and conversation very much like we're also enjoying now. Um, and it has opened up people's, you know, um, they're just more open to, to try it. There's been a couple of surveys out uh, in the UK and the US as well, where health engagements through remote means has become the preference for many groups of patients. Uh, it's just convenient and it offers them a, a way to, to, to connect with the health providers without having to travel and take out the time of their schedule. So, so I think there's been a lot of changes that have uh, really enabled telehealth over the last three years. That's all good to know. And uh, I, I guess my next question is, and maybe it's not in the book, but I'm sure that you might have uh, some thoughts on this. And it's what type of patient, be it age, be it uh, type of problem that brings them into the clinic, uh, what are some insights that you might be able to share with our audience around who might prefer teleaudiology as le at least as part of their care? Maybe I can share one or two thoughts and then um, see, see if Benet wants to kind of fill in, Brian. I I think the one thing we have seen is that patients who like to self-manage their health, to be in control of their health, typically tend to like the idea of telehealth because it gives them the convenience, but also a little bit of the control in how they engage with healthcare providers. Uh, in that respect, it also kind of links with people who typically are a little bit more tech savvy, uh, who are comfortable with technologies 
who typically just are more open to try a telehealth model. And then that links a little bit to age, of course, you know, so if uh, the, the tech savvy component comes in, it's usually also individuals who are younger. But again, these are just generalized, uh, you know, uh, observations. I think there's been a little bit of work on this. We certainly need more research to kind of see which patient groups and maybe even kind of personality types fit uh, a telehealth model and just not telehealth in general, but what types of telehealth models and access points. So, so, so those are just some of the initial thoughts from my side. Yeah, I have a few things to add as well, Brian. I think, uh, I think there's certainly a gap in this, uh, uh, you know, in this area. Uh, I think we fully don't understand, you know, who are a right candidate for teleardiology. Uh, I fully agree that, uh, you know, highly motivated a person with, uh, you know, ability to self-manage uh, would be a good candidate uh, with some technological competency. You know, those are like two requirements. Uh, but I'll give you a couple of examples why I think, uh, you know, we don't have fully understand, you know, for instance, uh, uh, you know, now uh, almost all the uh, hearing aid manufacturers have a smartphone applications. And as you know, um, you know, audiologists kind of tend to decide who uh, is the right candidate for uh, using an app, uh, you know, and we either over or underestimate, you know, who is the right uh, candidate for uh, using an app. So uh, I don't think there is a good way for us to say, say uh, who would actually be better served, you know, onboarding this in app. And uh, another example that I'll give you uh, is from one of our studies, you know, we have done a series of studies looking at um, the efficacy and effectiveness of internet based uh, CBT for tinnitus, you know, in that, uh, our assumption was that, you know, uh, obviously, uh, middle or younger age uh, population would be well suited to this because they use the internet quite, quite a lot. Uh, and uh, older age uh, individuals may struggle. Um, in addition to uh, looking at the outcomes, we also did something called as a process evaluation, which is very popular, you know, in the business world, looking at, you know, uh, well, we got from A to B, we got the outcomes, but like, you know, what are the drivers that uh, facilitated, you know, through this process? Uh, as a result of the process evaluation, we kind of, uh, you know, gathered quite a lot of data that we wouldn't gather in a traditional uh, clinical trial. You know, for instance, we kind of uh, looked at uh, how many people were logged, uh, you know, how many people actually came into this website, uh, you know, how many hits we got, and then how many of them actually did the screening and how many signed up to the study and how many of them actually ended up staying in the study and completing the study, right? Uh, we looked at their demographic, like including age. And to our surprise, you know, we had a very heavy, you know, uh, anger and middle-aged population who would come into the website and sign up. Uh, but when we looked at, you know, who actually, uh, you know, went on to complete the study, it was mainly older adults, uh, you know, with tinnitus. So, uh, you know, to our surprise, I think... Um, uh, um, I think we could probably have to look at this, you know, um, um, with with an open mind, you know, who may be eligible, are interested, and and who do well with the teleradiology models. Yeah, that's really interesting because in my own experience, somebody that you think is not very tech savvy turns out to be incredibly tech savvy. So you don't always know based on their age. Yeah, that's good to know. Final question for uh, Duet, I'll, I'll, I'll address this to you. Um, where can people find the book? Uh, yeah, that's a, a very good question, Brian. So the book is available on Amazon. So uh, there's a print version, but there's also a Kindle version. And of course, that's available anywhere in the world. 
maybe it's also just important to note um, that all the proceeds from this book is being donated for research into making ear and hearing healthy more accessible in southern africa so so, so the idea here is that we wanted to make this available as a resource, but we also wanted to make sure that uh, the proceeds from the book keeps kind of feeding accessibility in terms of hearing healthcare in underserved regions. So, so that's just an important uh, note that we like to kind of uh, bring under the attention of potential readers. That's great. And uh, any final, uh, Vinay, I'll... Uh... So I have one thing to add uh, to that point. Uh, you know, the reason we chose... Uh... Uh, Amazon Direct Publishing is the ability to quickly, you know, get the information. As we know, uh, this is the field where things are evolving, you know, very quickly. You know, the, the information that we provide here uh, may not be current or up to date in a year's time, or maybe even a few months' time. Uh, if you had gone with a traditional publisher, then there is a, you know, certain checks and balances uh, that kind of delays the process of updating the book. You know, it would take uh, at least a six months or a year process. So the reason we went with Amazon Direct Publishing is that, you know, uh, if you do find any of these concepts are outdated, uh, we can quickly update the book uh, with this information uh, in a matter of days or weeks. So uh, we welcome any feedback the users may have and uh, suggestions for improvement, uh, you know, for the future versions so that we can update and, and keep the, uh, the information uh, current. And it's great. And we'll put a link on the bottom of the screen so people know where they can find the book online. So thank you for that. Um, and thanks to both of you, uh, Vinay Manchaya, Duet Swanepoel, two of the co-authors of uh, Teleaudiology Today, Remote Assessment and Management of Hearing Loss. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to be with us today.